Welcome into episode 41 of the Gumprunners podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, and Jeremy Law here with you tonight. After week one, Alabama beating the Miami Hurricanes 44-13 to over in Atlanta. Bryce Young, SEC Offensive Player of the Week, going for 344 yards, which is an Alabama record in his first start. Four touchdowns. Jameson Williams doing his thing. John Mechie, Cameron Latu had a big game. Um, guys, we're going to jump right into this Alabama-Miami game. Uh, Lester, we'll start with you. First of all, just first thing that jumps off the page at you. It could be Bryce. It could be, you know, one of the receivers. It could be the defense, whatever you want. What is the most impressive thing to you about this win for the Tide on Saturday? My, my most impressive thing is – when you look around the college football landscape and, you know, look at, look at some scores or you look at some, you know, could have been, should have been upsets or whatever. As always, why do we doubt Nick Saban in Alabama every year? What, what the most impressive thing is how they come out prepared to dominate from the opening snap. There's no lull. There's no, you know, people run around with their heads cut off. Everybody knows what they're doing. They know where to go. They know the jobs they're supposed to do. And in turn, the greatest coach in college football, once again, has his team prepared to dominate week one. And I say that kind of in response to the Georgia-Clemson game, which we're going to get into later. But – and also you can think about the Oklahoma game too. I mean, just around college football, these – Really, really, you know, supposed to be great teams, supposed to be national title contender teams. They come out and they just don't look ready, or maybe they're just not as good as people think they are. But it's just amazing how Alabama comes out every single year prepared and ready to dominate. It's it's it's, it's amazing and it shouldn't be taken for granted. J Law, you know, yeah. we hear all all season about the the Derek King hype, you know, it's like his six-year playing college football. He's like 34 years old. He's been there forever. He's experienced. He's seasoned. Yeah, he's coming out the ACL, but that doesn't matter. He's a dual-threat quarterback. Nick Saban struggled with those dual-threat quarterbacks, um, you know, and he can still push the ball down the field, all this jazz. And, you know, you, you can't help but sort of doubt the defense, even though you know and you've seen in scrimmages and highlights and all that stuff. And on paper, this defense is just raw at every position. And not just their starters, you know, two or three guys after them, too, can also start for just about any team in the country. And and so, you know, you hear all this hype and you might believe some of it. You might you start doubting yourself. Well, you know, maybe they can put up 21, 24 points. I mean, I never thought anybody thought that except for Miami fans and that guy that made the diss track down in, down in Miami, Florida. But, uh, you know, as far as Bama fans, I don't think we ever doubted this game would be a loss, but. There are some people out there, they're like, you know, I could see them putting up 21, 24, and then Bryce's first start, he makes a couple of, you know, interceptions or he gets those couple of interceptions. And then offensive line's been kind of banged up through camp. And uh, this game could be close. But I mean, like Lester said, you come out and you just fire on all cylinders. But defensively, what was so impressive about being able to contain a guy like Derek King to you? Uh, and then this, this defense came out like this was game 10, game 11. I mean, they came out like they were, I mean, seasoned, like they played seven or eight games together. Like, they, I mean, like they were, you know, trying to make a national title run at the end of the year. And uh, to me, what Alabama missed from, from 2014 to really probably 2013 to even 
past Christian Miller and a few of those guys, maybe until last year with Will Anderson was, who is that guy that is going to put pressure on the quarterback? Whether it's a mobile QB, whether it's a, a, a pocket statue, quarterback, kind of like a Mac Jones, like who is going to be that guy that puts the pressure on the quarterback? And Alabama didn't have it. And, and I think from last year and this year, like you know that there's a guy who they may have to put three, a two offensive linemen on and a running back when they're in a passing situation. And even with Chris Allen going out, I mean, Drew Sanders can step in, Braswell can step in. But to me, the difference is Alabama felt comfortable against Miami with getting pressure with four. If they wanted to bring six, they could. But they felt so comfortable getting pressure with four that they could leave seven guys in coverage. And when you do that, I mean, you guys know this, and so does everybody else. When you can leave six to seven guys back, you're taking away the whole field. I mean, that makes De'Aaron King's life hell when he's trying to not only read a defense in a game one scenario where they may be throwing some different things at you, but also you just don't have the time. You have to read that and read it quick. And Anderson and really Phil Mathis and, and Chris Allen, they got pressure on De'Aaron King all day. And you really – and and then when Derek King was able to make some throws, man, I thought those, some of those young DBs were right there in coverage. I think it's just a perfect mix of pressure, um, smart linebacker play from Toto Toto and, and Harris, who had tons of snaps under their belt, and some really good defensive backs. Man, this is this could be one of those magical defensive years. And I think that um, if this defense was hyped going into the year, and uh, it could honestly be maybe a little better than what a lot of people thought. Um, Pete Going said he wanted to give up 13 a game and no more. Heck, he might he could he could get there. He's on pace in game one. Yeah, and not only, like you were talking about dropping six or seven, but that's also not facing five-man routes either because, you know, if you go four wide, you, even though Alabama's still bringing four, it's almost like you've got to keep your back end for protection. you got to shade him to one of those nasty defensive insides. Um, but since we're talking about pressure, let's stay here and talk about the loss of Chris Allen. Uh, that's all definitely on our agenda to talk, to talk about. Foot fracture out for the year. We've seen this injury before. Um, you know, you hate it for Chris because he could have come out last year. You know, looking back on it now, I mean, of course, you can do this with every situation ever. But, uh, you know, I don't know his medical red shirt status. Uh, some people are saying he's already got one. I can't remember. I really don't know because he didn't really even play his first two years of college ball and, you know, he, he, he more played sparingly. And, um, but, you know, this guy was poised to be at worst a second round draft pick if he stays healthy on a full year. And I don't see that happening now, but replacing him, you know, Drew Sanders come in, he's from Oklahoma, he's committed to Oklahoma out of high school. He's the number one outside linebacker prospect in the country. He's a five stars, like top 20 overall in some recruiting sites. And so, you know, I think personally, there's not going to be a huge drop-off here. There is a drop-off at all. It'll be very minor. And, uh, you know, I told you guys that, you know, whenever Drew Sanders came into the game, our defense looked a big different. Drew Sanders was in coverage a lot. You rarely saw Chris Allen uh, dropping into coverage, you know, whether it be the flats or the middle, and Drew Sanders was doing both. And uh, I think that, you know, putting your hand in the dirt, trying to get to the quarterback and get sacks, Chris Allen is the second best on the team at it, of course, opposed to Will Anderson. Um 
And so I don't think Drew can replicate that, but I think he can do, he can bring a lot, a different dynamic to the defense with the way he's able to cover. And he's still third on the third on the team in tackles. I mean, Will Anderson led the team with nine, then Henry T and then boom, there's Drew Sanders right there. Backup step right in, didn't miss a beat, but uh, J-Law talk about the, the, loss of Chris Allen, what it poses to the defense, and how you think this defense changes moving forward? Yeah, that's one of the first things I noticed is that Drew Sanders looked comfortable dropping back in the middle of that defense uh, from a coverage standpoint. He did it on one of the very first plays he was in the game, um, and then he actually comes up and makes a uh, a series-ending tackle on Derek King, wrapping him up when he actually got away from Will Anderson stepping up into the pocket. I'm not sure it's going to look um, different, man. Drew Sanders is a physical set specimen, big guy, strong guy, fast guy, can get off the edge. In, in all honesty, he's probably got a quicker first step off the edge to rush the quarterback than Chris Allen. It's just tough to replace the snaps and the reps. And you know, Chris Allen was very dominant last year when he had a full, he had full 10 game SEC schedule under his belt and the college SEC title game and college football playoff. He was very comfortable. He was okay with the calls. But to me, I don't, I don't think there's going to be a massive drop-off. They said they're going to try out. I think Dallas Turner, he's going to get some reps in practice this week. Chris Braswell was already able to play a little bit against Miami, too. So that's not a position that Alabama hasn't recruited well at. And even if some ha- something happens and you do get down to a Dallas Turner, whether it's just a you know, guy cramping up, um, it's also not a position where you have to know a lot. I mean, if, if you can go get the quarterback, I mean, there's guys in the NFL, that's all they do. J.J. Watt, um, Aaron Donald, they don't do anything else. They have one job, and let's go get the quarterback. Will Anderson, he has one job, and let's go get the quarterback. To me, I don't think the defense changes very much. Um, sad, to see it, sad to see it happen to a good kid, a guy who's waited his turn, he's injured, steps back on the field in game one right after fall camp. I know that sucks, but I don't really see much of a drop-off. Lester, moving over to the offensive side of the ball, let's just start with the quarterback, man. I mean, you know, we we talked last week about what we expected out of Bryce, um, you know, anywhere from 225, 275 yards, three touchdowns, maybe one pick. You know, we we would we would have been okay with that. We're like, we can win the game easily if he puts up those kinds of numbers. Well, of course, he just, you know, goes 71% and throws for almost 350 and, uh, and four tutties with no picks. Uh, the kid looks calm in the pocket. He's got great feet. He moves great. He's got great pocket presence. But the thing I like most, I think about him, Lester, tell me if you agree with this. He does not want to be a run first guy. He does not want to run the football. And I think it's just because he's got that rocket attached to his right arm. But there, there was plenty of times where he fizzled out to the right or to the left, the pocket collapsed, and he just – kind of faded. He just waited. He was patient, looked a lot like Mac Jones. And, and, you know, Rice definitely has the running ability, but uh, the way he throws moving towards the line of scrimmage is, you know, just talk about the all around accuracy and just the all around performance that you got out of Bryce Young Saturday. I was just as ecstatic as I could be watching that kid. Um, you pretty much encapsulated. There were there were a couple of times that he would have took off. He probably could have ran for at least twenty yards. But the guy just stood in the pocket and threw BBs all over the stinking field. Um, the offensive line wasn't great, but 
his mobility, his shiftiness in the pocket, it seems like every chance, every chance he had or every spot where he needed to get off his spot, get off his drop up to either, you know, take a step back, left, right. He always made the right move to get open and his eyes stayed downfield by a little bit more time and found the guy who he needed to and put it right on the money. I mean, I did I did not expect that from a guy who didn't even have 30 passes under his belt. Not even 20 passes, I don't think. Yeah. And and, and the guy comes out and he looks like a pro. I mean, it's 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 amazing. Once again, that preparation from Nick Saban and Bill O'Brien, credit to all of those guys on that staff. Bryce Young was ready and he was not overshadowed by the moment. And I think you can see in his play on Saturday, right, Lester, that that there's a reason that a lot of people, including us, you know, of course nobody knew what Matt was going to do last year. Nobody knew he was going to erupt like that. And if you did, you're a liar um, because he didn't show enough in the Michigan game. He lost the Auburn game single-handedly in 2019. And so, you know, nobody knew he was going to erupt like that and be starting for the Patriots as a rookie. And so you see in his play why a lot of people thought that Bryce Young would really push him for the starting job, right? 100%. 100%. Even, even as a freshman coming in, the tools are still there. I mean, from that, I mean, the tools are still there. He still has the rocket arm. He still has the presence. He still has the, the you know, the wherewithal to keep his eyes up. That's not something that you can, I mean, of course you can rep it, but that's stuff that he's just born with. You know what I mean? Like, you can't coach that to a degree. You just got to have it. And he clearly has it. And you're right. There, there, there was just as any reason as anybody else for Bryce to, you know, seemingly compete, legitimately compete with Mac Jones for that job. That's not a stretch at all. But, um, of course, Mac, you know, he did the damn thing last year. And now it's, it's Bryce's turn to do it. J-Law, Jamison Williams, the Ohio State transfer, racks up four balls, 126 yards, including the big 94-yard touchdown pass. And, uh, you know, Bryce missed him on the opening drive for about another, I guess, 60, 65-yarder. Can't remember how far it actually was, but it's probably his worst throw of the day on the first drive of the game. But, um, you know, everybody talks about this transfer rule. And, you want to talk about immediate impacts. And a lot of people think that Alabama wouldn't benefit from this because they're the ones that have all the studs. They're going to be transferring and they're going to go to other schools and help them. Well, Nick Saban's just, I mean, he's just shitting all over everybody with this. And he told you that he goes out and gets Tennessee's best player and gets one of Ohio state's receivers. And uh, sure. Chris Olave and is it Garrett? Yeah. Garrett Wilson. They're great up there at Ohio state, but man, this guy can play some football too. And you saw the breakaway speed, um, that he has, and he saw the ability to get open and the way Alabama is going to use him. He is a threat to score every time Alabama drops back to pass. And, uh, and so just talk about – you can talk about him and Henry T and just the immediate impact that they have. I mean, you know, Williams leads Alabama in yards. Henry T is second in tackles. I mean, you can see the immediate impact. Talk about how big those two guys, particularly Williams, because receiver – is an area where Alabama is really thin. They have four freshmen coming in, um, which are, you know, they're going to be good playmakers, maybe not ready right now. Uh, you saw JoJo Earl get some play in time, catch a couple of balls, but, you know, Javon Baker, Trayshawn Holden, Slade Bolden, maybe they just don't have the confidence 
or maybe the coaching staff just doesn't have the confidence in them right now. So they go out and get a guy like Jameson Williams, and he changes the whole dynamic of the offense. I thought that, man, Jameson Williams, he was ready to explode. It was the second play of the game. Bryce, that's the worst throw that you will see from Bryce Young all year. He might throw a pick, but it will not be as bad as that throw. It was over the wrong shoulder. If Jameson continues to run his route, Bryce misses it by 20 yards. So, I mean, if Jameson doesn't turn and try to go back the other way, I mean, it's ugly. But Bryce did say that that, that throw just kind of got him into the rhythm of the game. And, man, Jameson Williams, that was a thin spot for this Alabama team. A lot of people knew that after you lose everybody, they lost at receiver over the last two years, including a Heisman Trophy winner, the first Heisman Trophy winning receiver since Desmond Howard. You knew it was going to be thin. And they listen, he comes right in, right in and makes an immediate impact. And, but, and I think the bigger point is if you don't have him, you have John Mechie, who's your – might not even be your feature guy right now. Jameson Williams might be your feature guy to start with right now. You have John Mechie, and then you have Slade Bolden. And I, I'm, I'm on team – I like Slade. I'm sure he's a great guy. He's probably not going to drop a punt. But uh, I'm on team JoJo Earl. I think when I saw JoJo Earl catch that first ball and his – 10-yard burst from where he caught the ball from behind the line of scrimmage to getting about 10 to 12 yards was probably as fast as anybody that I've seen at Alabama. Yeah, he, he, those, those Mechie and Bolden could have been your two features, and you could have had some freshmen or Treshawn Holden or Javon Baker, who could be good sitting behind him, but they really haven't shown you anything yet. Getting Jamison Williams in the transfer portal is going to be really big for this Alabama offense. I think a lot of people thought, you know, okay, the guy couldn't play at Ohio State. He's coming to Alabama. We'll see what he could do. The guy shows you what he can do. Then you turn around to the defensive side of the ball. And for Henry T, it's not, it's not all about production. It's not all about tackles. It's not all about his st- stat line at the end of the game. It's about guys being lined up. It's about people being in the right situation to make the right play. And you didn't see Alabama out of position. I, don't, I can't really remember many defensive plays where you thought, man, they're not lined up right or, there's a, if we miss one tackle, you got three more guys around him. I think that's the impact of Henry Toto on the defensive side as well. You know, I think Chris Harris could have done it this year, but Henry T and this defense, the defense under Henry Toto, I, I think they got a great leader on the field, and that that is an immediate game changer. And this defense is probably, I mean, far better than what it would have been without him. Lesser, you know, we're talking about Jameson Williams changing the dynamic of the passing game in Alabama. But it's a guy that we that had a big touchdown in the A-Day game. It's a guy that showed out in the spring scrimmage. It's a guy that showed out in the fall scrimmage. It's a guy that we've been reading about on message boards. Cameron Latu, you know, the outside linebacker, you know, product that, that developed into a tight end. And we, we really didn't expect much from him. And here he goes, redshirt junior year. He's a fourth-year guy, three catches, two touchdowns. He, he's a wild card, and he's a guy that's going to create matchup problems. And then we're forgetting about Jaleel Billingsley, who didn't even play or didn't, didn't get a catch in this game on Saturday. And so once you throw him in there, you saw a lot of two tight end sets from Bill O'Brien. And, uh, and I don't – you know, I think that's by design because he knows that he, he's going to get 81 and 19 on the field at the same time that – does not allow you to go nickel formation. You have to go back to a base, whether that's three, four or four, three. And then all of a sudden you got linebackers on those guys and, you know, they're going to forget about them. There's going to be holes in zones. They're just going to find them. I think they can be a huge dynamic for Alabama 
especially once 19 gets back. Lester, talk about the the impact, because we're talking about thin at receiver. Man, after Jaleel Billingsley, if Watu doesn't come about, you're talking about Major Tennyson and Robbie Owls, the true freshman, and who's, who's third string right now or whatever. Uh, so without Latu, talk about the impact that he had in this game Saturday and that he has the potential to have throughout the remainder of the season. I mean, another another weapon in your war chest. Uh, I mean, I, I, I personally think a great tight end is probably the biggest matchup, biggest mismatch in all of football, especially like on the, on the offensive side of the ball. Because what are you what are you gonna do with that guy? He's he's bigger than your DB can cover. He's faster than your linebacker can cover. I mean, you got to commit two guys to contain someone like that. Then what are you gonna do when you put two guys on him? You're gonna have Jameson Williams running 23 miles per hour past your stinking DB. You're gonna have Mechie shake the shoes off your DB. And what are you gonna? There's nothing you can do. And um and you said I think. Latu is your breakout player of the year. I mean, he's going to do it. You know, goal line situations, that guy is scary. He's scary anywhere on the field. And I was so glad to see Saban put his arm – well, not put his arm around him because Bill says he's kind of huge. But, you know, talk to Bill and Slee, Like, dude, that could be you. Literally, I'm sure – I hope you whispered that in his ear. That could be you. Um, but, man, I, I just think about, you know, those Patriot offenses with, you know, and Hernandez and, you know, another dominant tight end on the other side and just, I don't know, it, it, it can be done here at Alabama and it's going to look nasty um, when it happens. There's there's no stopping it at all because literally it's pick your poison. Who do you want to stop? You want to stop the yeah. three guys on the outside? Do you want to stop a linebacker? What, what are you going to do? Because, I mean, you're in a too tight set. You got to bring the guys up to prepare for the run. You, there's no stopping this offense, you know, granted if everybody's healthy. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Alabama wins the game 44-13, 1-0. Not really sure how good Miami's going to be, but, you know, looking at the ACC, they might have a pretty damn good year. But, J-Law, let's talk – we're probably all going to have the same thing. Is the one area where Alabama needs to improve on the offensive line? I mean, that's about it, right? Yeah, I'll go back to Cole Kublik's uh, SEC breakdown tweets. They did, the offensive line didn't execute very well, and I couldn't tell what the problem was early on in the game because you could see Bryce. I couldn't tell if Bryce was being hesitant and he just didn't have enough time to deliver the ball to the receiver. Like, what was going on? I mean, it looked like Cohen had a tough time blocking, and then with Chris Owens moving the right tackle, I mean – Randolph did get in the game, so I'm not – I mean, he played a little tight end. I'm, I'm guessing they didn't think his ankle was good enough to play right tackle in that one just to hold up the whole game. But maybe – I don't know if, if Chris Owens is planning to go back to center and they can sort some things out. But Cohen, everybody's knowing he's going to be your starting left guard. And I don't think he uh, – I don't think he probably graded out very well in the offensive meetings on Sunday or Monday. And I was thinking, I was like, man, are the receivers not getting open because Bryce is kind of having to stand back there and he's wiggling around? Is he getting frustrated? But it was the, it was the other line. I think that's probably the biggest key for Alabama is, is can that offensive line, you know, give him a little more time in the pocket? I thought Bryce had a nice twitch in the pocket when he needed to. He could shift the protection, move left, move right. But a lot of his best throws in the game were him, you know, way outside the pocket, kind of fleeing from defenders and then using his cannon – and delivering a strike across the middle or on the sideline to keep a drive going. 
if they can get the, the if they can gel up front, I mean, they're going to be just fine. Give it a couple weeks. I think we'll know a lot about the offensive line when they play Florida. Well, and that, and that's the thing. Uh, well, you know, you've got one week to do it. Uh, this week, you got to solidify that five. Is it going to be Randolph at right tackle? Because I I do not recall hearing about Chris Owens playing any right tackle in fall camp. And, uh, you know, usually that kind of stuff gets out when you start shuffling offensive linemen around. You know, you hear about Dalcourt and Owens battling at center. You hear about J.C. Latham and and uh, and Randolph battling it out at right t- or right tackle and maybe some left guard competition between Cohen and Tommy Brown while Ikior was out. And uh, and then all of a sudden, here comes Chris Owens starting at right tackle, which I don't think I don't ever recall him playing there in his career. He's always been an interior guy. And uh, yeah, you know, Randolph is used as a as a blocking tight end a lot. And um, so you, you've got one week. You don't have the luxury of having a couple of games to figure this out. You got to do it now. Uh, so do you think that they give Latham a shot against Mercer or do you think it's going to stay with Owens and, and uh, Randolph and then Dalcourt's locked down the center position? I mean, ha- I mean, I was going to ask you, I mean, you're on the boards a lot. Has Dalcourt locked down the center position? Is Owens at right tackle because Dalcourt beat him out? Because I just remember Chris Owens coming in and playing center last year and there was no drop off yeah. after Lennon Dickerson. So that really, that really shook me up and, I go back to to Cam Robinson days. Like Alabama lands a big time five star true freshman tackle. He's usually starting right tackle because the other guy has just moved to left tackle to Jonah Williams, to Evan. I mean to Leatherwood, to Evan Neal, and now it seems like I mean you land Tommy Brockermeyer, you land J.C. Latham, and I, it was my full expectation that one of those guys after fall camp summer workouts fall camp was going to be your starting right tackle. And all you've heard about is Kendall Randolph. I think they may, and JC Latham has obviously been the one that's been in that rotation at right tackle. I think that you might see him against Mercer because they're going to, I don't know. It just feel like the Cohen Dalcourt combo right there in the middle and left side of the offensive line just didn't quite get the job done. Probably when they went back and looked at the film, I think you could see Chris Owens back at center and see what they try to do on the right side of that offensive line at right tackle, whether it's Randolph, whether it's Latham. I know they're going to have to figure something out. Yeah, I don't I don't think Dalcourt had, had a bad day. And, uh, you, you know, your point might be right. Dalcourt might have just beat him out. And so he's like, hey, I've got a guy that was a senior last year. He could have gone in the draft or whatever, and he chose to come back and use his COVID eligibility year. And uh, so, you know, I kind of got to stick him somewhere. It might be a sympathy thing. But I think Saban will end up playing the best player. But that's definitely something we're going to be looking for um, this this Saturday is how that offensive line shifts. And at 65, J.C. Latham gets any play in time. But uh, switching over to the other side of the state, Lester, we're going to start with you. Auburn, the Brian Harson era, starting out 1-0 and against a, a tough, tough Akron team, man. I mean, these guys are gritty. They're going to come at you with everything they've got. They're going to play hard. They've got a lot of talent over there. Auburn Haynes, 60 on them. Bo Nix, 20 out of 22, man. This guy couldn't do that on air last year. 275, three tutties, no picks, took care of the ball. TJ Finley sucks, but that's okay. He's only two out of five against freaking Akron. But, uh, you know, Tank doing Tank things. I think all their running backs average over like 10 yards a carry. Lester, how much of the Auburn game, if any, did you watch, first of all? And just by reading those stats, I, I'm not going to ask. Um, I'm, I'm, I mean, I just I want, I want you to tell me how many natties Brian Harson wins in the next five years at Auburn. Is it four? 
Is it three? Is it maybe all five? Tell, tell me how good these Auburn Tigers looked on Saturday. Um, I, you know, after, you know, seeing 60 to 10, um, I wish I could have watched Auburn play, but um, I don't have my rabbit ears hooked up to my six, nice six-time-inch television. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know what channel they're on. Uh, but, yeah, hold on, wait. Was I the I, – I, when – who is not on television in 2021? Like, how do you play a game as a Facts. Southeastern Conference team and you're not on TV? Facts. That's, not, that's a great question. I mean, surely the SC Network Plus or somebody. I mean, I, think about it. You got a brand – you got Auburn, allegedly a premier program in the SEC, with a brand-new head coach who's going to come in and change a bunch of stuff and do all this cool stuff for Auburn. And they can't even make it on TV game one. I don't care who you're playing. But but I digress. But um, I, I guess, you know, Auburn fans, they seem happy on social media with their performance this weekend. Good for them. Um, the one number that kind of sticks out to me is uh, 20 completions for 275 yards against Akron. Um, where's the downfield threat for Auburn at this year? Uh, maybe they don't have one. If they don't have one, they're going to be in big trouble when they play a decent football team. But other than that, good for them, I guess. I mean, can't really get a whole lot from this football game. I think if Bama beat a team 60 to 10, that was accurate. I don't think we'd be, you know, doing Gatorade baths and whatever, celebrating on social media about it. But I digress. You got to let them be happy sometimes for reality hits. Is the Gatorade bath something that's new whenever you get a first win in a program? Because I, I don't – maybe maybe it is a thing, and I just haven't noticed. But is that always been a thing, or is that just an Auburn thing they, that they did with Harson? It's weird. I've seen weird stuff on college football lately. It's yeah. just weird. Like, dude, that's nothing to celebrate. Like, that's like beating your – Eight-year-old nephew like Madden or something. Like, what are you, what are you, what are you gonna do? You gonna slam the controller in his face because you beat him by sixty? Like, what joy do you get out of that? Come on, I would hope you would beat him by sixty, but you know, hey, Auburn's been down for so long, they got to get a fifty-point victory somewhere, and uh, I'm glad they were able to beat up on little old Akron. J Law over six hundred yards for Auburn's offense. Now, this isn't, you know, it's been a long time since you've seen anything other than a Gus Malzahn on the plane or a Gus Malzahn offense on the planes. Um, so, you know, like I said, I, I, I don't know if you've watched the game, and that's a legit, a legit question because it wasn't really on TV. You really had to hunt for it, and uh, I guess they just wanted a full, a full stadium, so they made it to where you couldn't even watch it. And, you know, two, two SEC teams didn't even play on Saturday. Tennessee played on Thursday and Ole Miss played Monday. Um, I think that's the only two, but I mean, so you only had 12 teams playing out of 14, but uh, you know, still they couldn't find a, a slot to get Auburn in there, but you know, just if you've seen any highlights, just tell me what you saw differently from the Mike Bobo and Mike Harson offense relative to what we've seen from Gus Malzahn the last eight, nine years. Well, I give it to them. They did use the tight end. I mean, they, they went under center. They, they were just a spread, and I, I'll credit them. I mean, it wasn't anything fancy, but they have started running the offense that allows you to compete with 
some of the best in the country. Now, are they some of the best in the country? I don't know. This kind of this is this one of those years where Auburn starts unranked, and I think they're number twenty-five now that we're recording this. Is this a year that they sneak up there? A lot of those games after Auburn's win, a lot of the games on their schedule look a little more interesting. But man, I just go back to listen. Akron last year, they didn't have to play any Power Five teams. They, I mean, they weren't allowed to play any Power Five teams. Okay, they gave up fifty six or more points three times and they're not playing michigan they're not playing auburn they're playing wet those games are western michigan kent state which was the number one scoring offense in america okay and buffalo those scores were 58 to 13 69 35 and 56 to 7 in all honesty akron was the second worst team in college football last year it's like bishop sycamore i mean those are bishop sycamore numbers Exactly. Listen, they were the second worst team in college football last year, and they and Akron played the first worst team, which was Bowling Green. Kansas State statistically was the worst. I mean, Kansas was statistically the worst team, but they did play a full Big Twelve only schedule, so I'll give them a pass. Listen, Akron scored thirteen touchdowns in six games last year. They gave up thirty-four touchdowns in six games last year. They got outscored 17 to 41 on average in those games. They scored 103 points in six games. It's not good, guys. No. They allowed 248. They gave up 34 tutties <laughs> in six games. In six games. That's almost I understand that it's a, it's a change. It looked good. It felt good. Auburn did what they were supposed to do. If Gus Malzahn was playing Akron, they would have done the exact same thing. It's, just, it's actually what Gus Malzahn did against these teams his whole career. He would beat the living hell out of Akron. And then he'd follow it up with a 21-17 to 17 win over Arkansas or something in the next coming weeks, and everybody would get frustrated. Auburn's got another week to get ready to, to go play against Penn State, who – I didn't know they didn't look great offensively. They looked great defensively and probably one of the toughest places to play in college football in Camp Randall. That game is going to be in Happy Valley, a whiteout at night at Penn State. I, that's going to be a dangerous game. I think it's a coin toss who's going to win that one. But right now, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Bo Nix looked good. 20 for 22 is nothing to be, you know, it's nothing to scoff at for sure. It's, it's a good stat line. But uh, let's pump the brakes a little bit on, on this hype after beating the second-worst team in college football last year. Moving around to some other teams around the SEC, let's, let's talk, number one, about the biggest surprise to me in, the, in you know, the entire week one of college football was LSU goes all the way out to, to UCLA and just gets her ass spanked. And, you know, Coach Orgeron, he's out Friday night with his young – hot girlfriend or whatever, you know, they're snapping pick seven. Then he's talking shit to the guy walking in the stadium saying, bring his ass on in your sissy blue shirt. And then you saw they just beats his ass. And uh, there wasn't nothing. I mean, there's no beating around the bush there. Derek Stingley played terrible in his first game wearing number seven. You know, he had a, he had an interview and, and a story on him on, on game day. And, and I mean, this guy, I, I don't want to say it's, I don't want to say he's overrated. I think he's a good player. He's not good. Dude, show me what he's done against big-time receivers and big-time teams. Everybody's good against Akron. 
everybody's good against Mississippi State and Arkansas. When the receivers, I mean, and, and Arkansas don't say he's got to deal with Traylon Burks this year. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if Burks would his ass up and down the field. But every time Stingley goes against somebody with the pulse, he tends to get his ass up. He can't tackle. I mean, it, it's listen. They, they didn't even let him guard Devontae Smith last year because they knew what would yeah. happen to him in that game. They didn't let him guard him. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, and this is. Is, is it time to talk about Orgeron on the hot seat? You know, he catches lightning in a bottle with that roster in 2019. And, you know, going to getting Joe Brady may be the hire that saves him, you know, another two or three years in his coaching career at LSU. Because that dude right there, I mean, he bought himself a national championship. And, uh, you know, you end up having, whatever, 14 guys drafted. And, and then you come back with a five-and-five five season – you get a break because it was COVID and Jamar Chase opted out. Miles Brennan got hurt and all this stuff. And then you go down into the swamp the weekend before the SEC championship game and beat Florida. And, and so you were like, okay, did they turn a corner? We'll find out next year. You know, you got to see, you, you got to wait a whole off season. And then Miles Brennan gets hurt again, but I'm like, dude, Max Johnson was the one that went into the swamp and beat Florida and played a great game. And, uh, you know, you return 18 starters back on an SEC football team, the way LSU was recruited the last three, four years, that's huge. These guys aren't scrubs. They've got hella playmakers. And you go over to UCLA, who's got a bunch of Pat 12 dudes that, I mean, don't even pay attention to football, and they just show up and just beat your ass. And so is this, you know, I don't want to say the beginning of the end, but is Orgeron's seat starting to get a little hot? I mean – how much is a 2019 national championship gonna take you? Or when was that? 2019 or 2020? No, it's 2019. 2019. <sighs> yeah. Somebody said he's a Cajun Gene Chizik. <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious. Uh, but you can literally draw parallels. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know what LG, First of all, can they afford to fire him? All the financial problems that have come out of LSU lately um, or the past couple of years, they may not can afford to fire that guy, first of all. Um, but once again, maybe LSU is just not as good as we think they are. Now, that wide receiver, um, Booty or whoever, that dude's a baller. Dude's, dude can play. He's about the only one they got. Quarterback's garbage. Um, I saw Honey Badger on uh, Twitter just kind of sort of having a little meltdown and it's funny seeing Ryan Clark and uh, what's the guy like Marcus Spears, all those LSU guys kind of have a meltdown. Yeah, because um, they're homers. But, they're uh, big homers. Because big homers. But uh, yeah. uh, apparently everything is fixable, quote unquote fixable. But if you can't tackle after having a spring, a summer, fall camp, if you can't tackle by game one, but it ain't happening for the rest of the year. I'm sorry. Like, that's like, I, I, don't, I don't know if people understand, like, Sports aren't – you just don't flip a switch and, okay, do it. It's not that. It's repetition. It's practice. Well, your, your physicality – habits aren't going to go anywhere. Your physicality goes down in practice once you start the season, too. They're not going to hit, you know, exactly. today. They're not hitting today like they did, you know, the second Tuesday of fall camp. Right, right. I think LSU's in for a worse season. Um, it's, it's definitely a battle for A&M and Ole Miss is going to be the second best in the West, that's for sure. Absolutely, I, I agree mean, with that. I mean, dude, J Law LSU ran for fifty yards, two yards a carry. I, mean, I know, I know. And so, 
UCLA, outside of the, the non-Power 5 teams that LSU plays this year, I mean, do they have a roster that their roster, you know, they don't they don't have the roster that maybe even Arkansas. So, I mean, you're telling me that LSU just, they got drummed. They got their butt beat on the road against uh, USC's and Oregon's scraps. So when I look at rosters, I mean, I'm saying that UCLA's roster comparable to Mississippi State-ish. I mean, they're probably, they're better than them, don't get me wrong, but I mean, yeah. the, the, the overall talent level at UCLA is not there. So you're telling me that LSU is going to get into an SEC schedule where they play Florida every year, they play Alabama every year, they play Auburn, they play um, Texas A&M, I mean, and they're going to fix the issues that they have. I mean, we've seen this Ed Orgeron thing, guys. We've, we, we, we said it when it happened. This guy's never, ever put anything together his entire coaching career, whether it was at Ole Miss, had a nice little interim stint at USC, rolls into LSU, has, I think, two really bad years before 2019 where Joe Burrow and Joe Brady lit the world on fire, and then he rolls back into what he did last year. This is who this guy is, and he talked a lot of shit when he won it, Congratulations to him, but the, the, this is a forgive. This is they'll forget you really fast, and and greatness is built on consistency, and that's why people joke on Gene Chizik and they draw the parallels to Ed Orgeron. There's no consistency. You knew it wasn't gonna that, that they had no sustainability. It wasn't gonna pan itself out over a long period of time. And this LSU program is kind of right where it was when Les Miles left, outside of one. You know, flash in the pan 2019 season. Yeah, and I mean, UCLA has a whole bunch of seniors. I get that. But, I mean, how dedicated to football are they out there? Like you're talking about, that, like you just said, these are guys that didn't commit to USC or Oregon, maybe guys that they didn't want or secondary offers. And uh, so they go to UCLA because they kind of have to. And, and, yeah, I get their experience and they're matured and they're – you know, all that jazz. But, I mean, this game, uh, the the 50 rushing yards really gets me because one thing that you always see, the different – what separates SEC teams from Big 12, Big 10, Pac-12, ACC, most of the time is the line of scrimmage. And LSU did not dominate the line of scrimmage like you'd expect them to, like you'd expect a, a top-tier SEC team to do. And that's just that's, – that's just – that's the most wild thing to have that, that I've seen this weekend – um, follow that up, you know, Georgia and Clemson, I think I fell asleep three, four times during this game. Uh, I'm all for defense, man, but golly, only if it's my team, <laughs> I'll tell you that right now, if my team's playing good defense, great. I'm happy. I'll watch it all day. I'll watch 2016 clips of Alabama defense and 2011 clips of Alabama's defense all day. But if I'm watching two other teams in the top game, you know, number three against number five or whatever it was. Uh, you know, 10 to three, zero offensive touchdown score. That was boring as hell. Um, so, Lester, do you think that both of these teams have offensive issues, or do you think it was just a case of the defenses are just that good? There's offensive issues. Yeah, I agree. 100% on yep. both sides. Offensive line on both for both teams, right? Yep, yep. As the season goes on, mm-hmm. this game is just going to be a big, oh, crap, these teams just aren't as good as they think they are. Look, I, I, I don't think that 
these two teams are just as good as they're built to be. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe the offense is better than what they showed, but, you know, 22 of 30 for 135 passing yards? <laughs> yeah. Dude, I mean, I guess Clemson's the 85 Bears or something. I don't, I don't know, but the, of course, you know, you look at the score, 10 it should have been a great defensive matchup. Not really. Both offenses just suck. There's no rhythm. Um, I mean, it just shows that, you know, JT Daniels is, is a fraud, probably. He's, I don't, I mean, Georgia's going to beat teams because, of course, Kirby has his five stars. He's going to be who he's supposed to, but when he comes against a real team or like a, a truly good team like Alabama or, you know, if they play Ole Miss this year, Ole Miss is going to give them fits. Um, you know, with Clemson, it just goes to show a bunch of white dudes on defense and average skill players, and you don't have the, you know, best quarterback in the country. What's going to happen? This? They're, they're just – they're not as good as they – are built to be so those two teams are going to be really 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 interesting to watch um the rest of the season either someone's going to turn it on or they're going to go you know be, be, of course it'll be top 10 teams but they're not going to be the upper echelon so it'll, it'll be see maybe we'll get some fresh blood at the top of the you know rankings and top five every week but as of right now none of those two teams showed me anything to be afraid of have y'all noticed that nobody's talking about Dabo Swinney? I mean, he's been blown out in back-to-back college football playoffs. Not just beaten. Correct. He's been blown out in back-to-back college football playoffs with what they're saying, the best quarterback to be drafted since Peyton Manning. I mean, you know, that's 25 years of football. I mean, that is a long time. And, and talking about a guy like Peyton Manning, he gets blown out in back-to-back college football playoffs and then comes out with the number two quarterback of the 2020 recruiting class, who's an absolute star. He's the face of the college football playoff commercials. He's sponsored by Dr. Pepper. And DJ Uyagalele goes 19-37 for 178 yards with a QBR of 36.7, no touchdowns and a pick. He has no running game. Dabo's offensive line is horrible. And his receivers, who you have guys like Justin Ross, are, are non-existent. I mean, nobody's talking about Dabo here being being a bust. He he can't he can't do it anymore. Listen, if this was Nick Saban, everybody'd be trying to run him out. I mean, Paul Feinbaum would be on TV right now saying that it's all over and done with. But they're not on Alabama's level. That's just proof of that. And what does Kirby Smart have? He's got a fraud quarterback, like Lester said. J T. Daniels is listen. That, that's a good Clemson defense. I get it. And the Georgia defense is lights out. Those are two phenomenal defensive teams. But, man, this game is set up for you to score points. Like, the rules literally make it where you can score points, and you can't even get an offensive t- a touchdown on the board. We still might be playing if there wasn't a pick six in the second quarter. And why, I mean, is, why is Will Shipley your running back, too? I don't we, know. You can't get anybody on? better than that? Like, you, I agree. I, you, we think that Dabo's recruiting well, and then we see this offensive line being straight garbage. And then, I, you know, I think the quarterback is overrated. We said this coming out of high school. All you heard was uh, was about how he's better than Bryce Young. He beat Bryce in the state championship game. 
you know, Bryce's team dropped like three touchdowns or something like that, but he beat Bryce in the state championship game. And then he goes up, barely beats a Boston college team, you know, uh, whenever he had to start for Trevor Lawrence, when he had COVID, he loses to Notre Dame. And that's all you hear all, all seasons about this dude's going to win the Heisman. He might win it twice. You know, the Clemson's got all these weapons, dude, they got nobody to block and their running backs suck. And Georgia has nobody to throw to. I mean, maybe if they get some guys back in this Georgia receiving room, man, but I, I, this Georgia offense is not going to be great regardless. Their offensive line is abysmal. I mean, it's bad. I know they were trying to block guys like Brian Breesey who are, you know, really good. Probably one of the, maybe he's a top five defender in college football, in my opinion. But, man, Georgia, their offensive line's bad. I mean, Zamir White's a good bag. So is Kendall Milne, but they don't have anybody to throw to. They're one-dimensional. Like, how far are you going to make it when – if Alabama's playing these two teams, I'd like to think they can score 24 in a game against Clemson and Georgia on, on Saturday yeah, night. I, I'd say they at least crack 30. But, I mean, you know, and also JT Daniels has no has no running ability. He doesn't have that dynamic. He's a statue, and that hurts him also. Whenever you've got a bad offensive line, I'm not going to say bad, an average offensive line, you know, to a slightly above average offensive line. Dude, if, you're, if you were going to be a pocket passer on a – good football team a top five football team this day and this day and age of college football excuse me you better have an offensive line that's going to protect the hell out of you just like Matt Jones did last year he wasn't a runner by any means he knew that but he had the, probably one of the best offensive lines ever to come through college football and JT Daniels hasn't had that and the dude cannot move yeah, man, it was it was a tough game to watch. I tried to stay interested in it. I left my dad's lake house around middle of the third quarter, got home, didn't miss anything. The score was exactly what it was when I left. So, I don't know, man. I was disappointed in Dabo because he's supposed to be on Nick Saban and, like, Urban Meyer-type territory as a college coach. And, let's see, the last three big games he's been in, blown out, blown out, and then he – couldn't get in the end zone one time in 2021 to me man Clemson the ACC he's lucky the ACC is horrible which means he's going to be back in the college football playoff because that unless Miami unless Alabama's just so good that Miami really is a top 12 to 15 team Clemson's back in the college football playoff and they're going to get blown out again well does this does this loss uh will they remember this and you know of course Clemson's offense is going to look way better versus ACC competition. Say they roll through that schedule and they're sitting there at 12 and one. And, you know, if, if say, say Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship and it's kind of between Clemson and Georgia, are they going to use this game? And be like, hey, Georgia look, would be in. Think so? I think so yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just, my, I think they're back in because I think Alabama and Georgia. I mean, Georgia could lose a game and Alabama could beat them. I think there could, this is the year that you might get an undefeated Pac-12 team, Oregon or UCLA, although Oregon had a scare with Fresno. They're going to get Ohio State's probably, yeah, yeah. You know, Ohio State's probably going to beat the dog out of them. And UCLA looks really good. Oklahoma and Tulane, I think Oklahoma can work their problems out. Um, I don't know. I still think there's a way for Clemson. They're going to be – I mean, they're the prize pony of the ACC, and if they – go what is this going to be 11 in a row 12 in a row after the ACC title game I think they can easily get back in I'm trying to pull up some stats real quick because you said that Oklahoma word and it just made me remember these guys just beat Tulane by five points Tulane's team has not been home in like two and a half weeks uh, or maybe longer 
And, and, you know, the rest that you get, the sleep you get in your own bed doesn't compare to any hotel or any other place that you go to. I mean, your own bed is your own bed. It is comfy. You get better rest and better sleep there than anywhere else. You haven't been home in two weeks and you were going to play a home game against Oklahoma as part of the two for one deal. And then all of a sudden, you know, the hurricane comes, you got to evacuate your practice in the different facilities, you're traveling, you're jet lagged, your bus lagged, whatever you want to call it. You go play the game in Norman, and then Oklahoma fans, you should be all hyped up. It should be a great atmosphere. Your team, you get to play at home opening the season. You ain't got to go play a team like Tulane where you're not going to get up for them. You know, you're a big favorite, but you go up and you only outgain Tulane by 30 yards. They throw they I mean, three they, points they, in the second half. They put up 400 yards on Oklahoma. And all you hear about, once again, all offseason, Oklahoma's defense has improved. This is a team that's an SEC caliber defense. It's going to help them in the playoff once they get there. And they roll through this cakewalk of the Big 12 schedule they have. No, they still got the same issues. They're getting shredded by Tulane. Tulane runs for 100, throws for 300. They did what they wanted to, and they're an onside kick away at the end from getting that ball going down and scoring and having the biggest upset of college fo- in college football of 2021. I just don't know how you – Spencer Rattler, he's good. He's not great. We've seen it for two years now. He goes 30 for 39 against the team that he should that, – and that's probably what you'd expect. 304 yards, but he's only able to get in the end zone once passing, and he throws two picks against Tulane. He's the, he was the Heisman Trophy leader going in or favorite going into the year. He puts up three points in the second half. Listen, they almost get shut out in the second half versus Tulane. Mm, yeah, uh, you know, but anyway, you know, great to have college football back. Week one in the books, looking ahead to week two. Lester, this, this slate kind of sucks. You've got Texas playing Arkansas, um, Missouri at Kentucky. Oregon versus Ohio State. Uh, what games are you looking forward to um, the most this weekend? Um, that uh, Oregon Ohio State game, just because I don't really see anything on the SEC slate. Do you buy um, do you Texas buy, Oklahoma? Texas Arkansas will be all right. Yeah. Uh, do you buy the um, you know Fresno State almost beat Oregon? I think Oregon won by seven, like thirty-one to twenty-four, something like that. Do you think that maybe was a look-ahead game for Oregon, or do you believe that they're just going to get their doors blown off by Ohio State? Who has – they have had two more days to prepare. Remember, Ohio State played, you know, the opening Thursday uh, of week zero, and uh, so they have had two extra days to prepare. So do you think Ohio State's going to cover this 14-point spread? Do you think Oregon can keep it under two touchdowns? I mean, Ohio State didn't look that great either in their game. I mean, C.J. Stroud, eh. I, I think there's four touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, but he was he was iffy. He was he, he was a good iffy. Se- he played a good second half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I he he that. turned it around. He he'll probably be okay. But yeah, I'm I'm looking for that game, and it's an early game too, 11 a.m. Central. So wake yeah. up and you know have a decent game to watch. But you know we'll see. I wonder how many points UAB is going to put up on Georgia. Dude, that was I was literally just about to ask you that. And allegedly, the rumor out of Athens is that Georgia's dealing with some COVID issues. Now I'm not oh, sure. Who, I'm not Major sure who the names issues. are. Yeah, I don't know who the names are, but you know, Georgia, that's a 25 and a half point line right now. I'm thinking about putting some money on the Blazers. Go for it. Go for it. I mean, 
don't know. I, I think they have the opportunity to cover. They look pretty good in their game against uh, who they played Jacksonville State. State. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty uh, fun game to watch. So, um, I take, uh, I take I take that number. Think so? With okay, UAB. Uh, Lester. One more for you. You've got um my wife's alma mater and your sister's alma mater, Troy University, at home against and my Mal- mom's and your mom's against Malik Willis and Liberty coming in. Liberty's a five and a half point favorite. Do you think the Trojans have any chance? I think they just hung 55 points on Southern or something like that. I swear that was a high school team that I played against when I was in high school at Edgewood. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, Troy scored, you know, in the mid-50s against them. But Liberty coming in is a little bit different animal. Do you think the Trojans have anything for Malik Willis, or do you think Liberty wins that going away? Uh, he freezes at Liberty, is he still? Oh, yeah. Oh, give me he freeze. Also, Southern, they may not win on the field, but they will kick your ass at halftime. <laughs> That's yeah, that, all I'm going to say. That is true. That, that is true. That, yeah, that is true, 100%. But yeah, I'll, I'll take uh, Liberty and uh, Malik Willis, really? Yeah, dude, he's like one of the top draft-eligible quarterbacks this year. He went off last wow. year. Really I good for that guy. Uh, so yeah, to the Auburn fans' dismay, they're watching Malik yeah. Willis just absolutely tear it up and be potentially be a first round quarterback. You don't know. Well, but, but hey, Bo's twenty out of twenty two against Akron. Don't forget that. Uh, J Law, Missouri at Kentucky. Who you like in this game? Will Levis played a really good uh, his in, in his first start. Um, Missouri going on the road. You got Connor Bazelat versus Will Levis, two really good quarterbacks. This game could be a shootout. You might want to look at the over for you gamblers out there, but. Uh, Missouri at Kentucky, who you got winning this one? Because this this could potentially be for second place in the East. We still don't know. The book is out. On, you know, we really don't know a lot about Florida. We'll find out a lot after week three when they play Alabama. Um, but, you know, as far as the East goes, this could be a battle for second place in the East. Who do you think pulls this game out? Kentucky got uh, three votes to be in the top 25. I think a lot of people – I mean, listen, a lot of people like Stoops at Kentucky – Whatever is he, Mark, Mike, which one? I don't know. I think it's Mark at Kentucky. But a lot of people like him. He's been a model of consistency. He's probably been a third best coach in the East every single year for the last five or so years. And and I think one of those years he might have been better than Will Muschamp or who who was at Florida McIlwain when he was at Florida. So I mean he's been right up there at the top, one of the best coaches in the SEC East. And that game's at Kentucky. I like Kentucky. I, I like Mark Stoops, and I'm going to put some stock in Missouri when they earn it. Last one for J-Law, Arkansas versus Texas. Uh, I think it's neutral site. I don't know. Uh, I think Arkansas is the home team, but Texas is a seven-point favorite in this game. Who do, who do you see? Do you think Arkansas can kind of stick with them, um, or do you think Texas beats up on them like they did ULL? You know, that game was, ended up being around eight points at kickoff as far as the line spread goes. And uh, Texas handled their business. So, do you think this, they did the same thing? You think they struggle a little bit with the Hogs? They're going to struggle a little bit. I think they win. I think the Arkansas's toughness is there um, under Pittman. I think that he's probably, if there was a guy coaching Arkansas, you'd probably pick Sam Pittman. Uh, he's an offensive line guy. He's going to instill the toughness. He's got to have the big boys up front. Um, you know, but I, I think Sark's roster up and down is a little bit better than Arkansas's. I, I'd take Sark in this one. I actually like Texas. I think that Sark, you know, he, he game plan for the same team last year. He knows how to attack them. Uh, they, they run basically the same stuff. I don't think they had any staff changes, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So I know Sark has, doesn't have near the talent that he had last year whenever he rolled into Fayetteville. But uh, 
he's definitely, you know, he, he knows how to attack him. He sat on the, on the game plans. He made a game plan, game plan for him. And, uh, and he knows how to, how to attack him defensively too. You know, he, he heard all the coaches and saw their stuff and everything. So I think that'll help him out. Uh, I don't, I don't think he wins by two touchdowns or anything like that, but I could see it being, you know, 31, 21 wouldn't surprise me at all, but, uh, um, J-Law, thank you. Thank you for coming on with us. Uh, Lesher, anything else you want to add before we hop out of here? Yeah, all this stuff. Um, speaking of LSU, who's the guy that got the really nice car, the really nice truck? How are those NIL guys? How are you feeling today? You just got your butts kicked by UCLA. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be pulling up and grabbing my keys back real quick. Uh, yeah, give me, give me that Hellcat back. You're not, you're not, you're not keeping that. Yeah, how do you feel if you're Dr. Pepper and DJ Ugalele or having from those things just put oh. a stinker on national okay, television? Is, is, is Bryce Young on next week's uh, Dr. Pepper commercial? Do they just replace him? No, with all this NIL stuff, that's just that, I'm glad we're playing games now because that's just going to be really interesting to, yeah. to see. Yeah, know? and that's the thing. Like that's what we we're talking about. Like if uh, you know, if you play poorly, do, do they have incentive to take all that shit away? <laughs> I think that'd be hilarious. I ain't gonna lie. I don't think it happens, but nah. I think it's hilarious. But uh, all right, Lester, appreciate it as always. Guys, thank you all for listening. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law, episode 41, Gump Runners Podcast. We're out. <laughs>